Welcome to the Resurrection Church Podcast. Resurrection Church exists for the glory of God and the joy of His people. If you're looking for a church in the upstate of South Carolina, please join us 9 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 900 North Main Street in Greer, South Carolina. We pray you'll be blessed by this message. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the elders. It's my honor to welcome any first-time visitors. If you would, please give them a welcoming applaud. If you would gather your Bible and open with me as we continue our study in Philippians. I hope you've been reading ahead because uh, today we're in Philippians 2, 19 to 30. We are halfway through a book. We spent how many years in Luke and it feels like we're flying through Philippians but we're not, we're taking our time. So we're going to read 19 to 30 today, starting in chapter 2, 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may too be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father has served with me in the gospel, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. I'll try that again. Good morning, everybody. There we go. Good to see you all. How about that keyboard player this morning, huh? (laughs) He did good. I'm so proud of him. Um, anyway, take these, babe. Would you? I forgot to empty my pockets. Um, I have a prayer request to start. Um, just want to invite you to pray. Uh, at the end of this month, our board of directors, uh, we're going to come together and have a meeting to talk about the future of our church. If you've been through Discover Res, you have some idea of what our board of directors are. It's um, a combination of our elders who you see on the regular, and our trustees or deacons that you don't necessarily see on the regular. Um, Our leadership model comes straight out of Acts chapter 6 when there was a a need uh, regarding the distribution of food in the early church, in the very early days of the church. The apostles that we might consider to be similar to elders in a local church, they said, you know, we, we can't neglect the ministry of prayer and the word in order to attend to this physical need, we need to select men full of the Holy Spirit 
to distribute the resources among the church. And so they selected the first deacons. And that's exactly how our leadership model works. The elders attend to the ministry of the word and prayer on the regular basis. And our trustees attend to the ministry of stewardship, which relates to our facilities and our finances and all the resources of the church and making sure that those are distributed appropriately. So the two bodies come together to form our board of directors and we're going to meet at the end of this month to pray and worship and talk about the, some, some future things regarding our church. We told you just a few weeks ago that the Lord blessed our church. We had, a, we, we had through your faithful giving and generous support, we had paid down our renovation loan. We did a renovation of our facilities in 2018. We had paid it down to just a little over 200000 and then a large gift came in, and we were able to pay that loan off. And we celebrate that, that God's been kind to us and good to us to be able to do that, that now... That financial obligation has been paid for. Amen? But we told you, yeah, let's celebrate that again. Let's do that. But we told you that there's more to do. And there are more things to consider with regard to our facilities and and some other things. And so uh, similar to what happened in Acts chapter 13, if you're familiar with that, uh, Paul and Barnabas, Paul had not really... Uh, come out of the shadows yet into ministry, but he and Barnabas were in a place called Antioch where a church had been started. And uh, Luke tells us in Acts that they were praying and worshiping and fasting. And the Holy Spirit spoke and said, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. And the first missionary journey of the apostle Paul launched from there. So at the end of this month, we're going to come together and we're going to pray and we're going to worship. We're not going to fast. The first service didn't get that either. That's meant to be funny, although it's true. We're, we're, we're going to eat um, when we come together. But we are going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to listen to the Lord with regard to some future things uh, regarding our church. And so pray. would you pray with us? Uh, just pray that the Lord will lead us and guide us and direct us, that we'll be in step with the Spirit. And what he's saying uh, is next for Res Church. Amen? I am so thankful for shared leadership. At Res Church, um, I talked to I've, I've, over the years. I've talked to so many pastors who, with the best of intentions, I think they feel like they're going at it alone, trying to shepherd a congregation, and they're on the verge of burnout because of that. Many of them. Uh, I'm not anywhere near the verge of burnout because we have such awesome shared leadership at Res Church, and that benefit comes in multifaceted ways. Uh, It happened this week. I tasted the benefit of shared leadership yet again when the elders reminded me. We got together on Monday, and we we always tend to debrief the Sunday before, and and they said, you know, Bradley, you you forgot something we talked about the previous Monday. There's something in the text that you didn't mention, and I was like, you're right. We talked about it and I forgot about it. And they weren't chastising me, but they were like, tell us about that. What did you intentionally do that? I was like, no, I forgot. And it's so helpful. Y'all want to know what it is? All right. Philippians two, verse 12 and 13. We looked at this last week. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out, everybody say work out, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in, say work in, 
works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. We talked about this last week. The Christian life is not a you get out what you put in kind of experience. Rather, it's we work out what God is working in, right? And here's what they reminded me of. In English, work out and work in sounds almost the exact same thing. But in the Greek, it's two different words. And I completely forgot about it. Work out is a word that means to labor or demonstrate or bring about. Work in is a word that means accomplishing or energizing. And if you look this up in a Greek concordance, it's literally going to tell you that the picture Paul is painting is that of a light and a light bulb. They didn't have light bulbs back then, but it's energy or like a current. The bulb is nothing by itself. But when the bulb has electricity, it lights up the room. Things that were not previously visible in the dark now become visible because the bulb has a current going to it. You tracking? And isn't it interesting that if you fast forward to verse 14, Paul says that when we work out what God is working in, we shine as lights in a world among a twisted and perverted generation. That's so helpful to me. I'm not the current. You're not the current. We don't manufacture things in our lives that bring Christ's glory. What we do is we lean into what God is working in, and then, yes, our effort is involved. We are a bulb, but as bulbs, we shine the light of what God is working in us and we light up a dark world. Does that make sense? So what does it look like to be the bulb? If God is the current, if he's the electricity, what he's doing in us through Christ, what does it look like to be a bulb that's shining that current? Well, Paul, here's what Paul has told us, is we humbly put the interest of others ahead of our own, we count others more significant than ourselves, and we do that without grumbling or complaining or even thinking about grumbling or complaining. That's one of the ways that we work out what God is working in. Paul presents it in the negative. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God at work in you. Do all things without grumbling or complaining, not the least of which is putting the interest of others ahead of your own or being others-focused. Do that without grumbling or complaining. That's the negative. But for every explicit negative, there's always an implicit positive. So the positive would be, do all things without grumbling or complaining, namely being others-focused, and be happy about it. In other words, the alternative to having a bad attitude when you're others-focused is not to aim at emotional neutrality. Let me say that again. The alternative, you didn't get it. The I'm just playing with you. The alternative to having a bad attitude when you're others-focused is not to aim at emotional neutrality. Rather... Here's what I think Paul's saying. Be others focused for the joy of it. Amen. 
Be others focused for the joy of it. And here's what we're going to see. If there was any part of Philippians you might be tempted to skip, I would think it would be this week. Because on the surface, what it looks like is Paul's doing nothing more than giving some personal updates and travel plans. Is that fair? But let's keep in mind, this is as inspired by the Holy Spirit as anything else in the book of Philippians. And here's what I see in this portion of Philippians. I see joy as much, if not more, than anything else we've seen in Philippians thus far. Joy. Being others focused for the joy of it. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at the text. Chapter 2, verse 19 to 24 again. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. There's two things I see there. Again, these are inspired words. Amen? So there's something we're supposed to see. I see two things. Number one is Paul's concern for the Philippians. Paul is concerned for them. What is his concern? I would say we could summarize that by all the instructions that he's given thus far. He's concerned that they are striving side by side for their faith in the gospel. He's concerned that they're living in a manner worthy of the gospel. He's concerned that they're fearlessly unified in the face of opposition. He's concerned that they're humbly looking to the interest of others not just their own interest. He's concerned that they're doing all of that without grumbling and complaining, and he's concerned that their, their focus is on the glory of Christ. That's what his concern is. Now, why is he concerned? What, or what's his motivation? Here's what he said. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you that I too may be what? Cheered by news of you. In other words... Paul is concerned for the Philippians for the joy of it. But we got to ask the question, how is that not selfish? Right? How do we aim at selflessness for our own joy and not be selfish? Is that fair? Paul's told us already. Back up to chapter 1, verse 8. We got to connect some dots. We talked about this. For God is my witness, Paul says, how I yearn, I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The affection from which his concern for them grows is not an affection that Paul has manufactured. It's not something that's come about merely by having some common interest with the Philippians or because they had a good time when he was there. Somebody cooked him a good meal. He went into somebody's house and they met his needs and, he, and they shared the same you know, interest in terms of what they like doing and their hobbies and all these kinds of things that we tend 
to base our affection on many times, right? That's not the basis of Paul's affection. The basis is the affection of Christ Jesus for the Philippians in him. That's, the, that's how he understands his love for them. So it stands to reason that if that's the basis of his love, then his concern for them is flowing out of the affection of Christ in him for them. That's why he can say, complete my joy by having the same mind. That's why he can say, if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice and you should rejoice with me. Do you see this? When our affection and concern for each other is flowing from the affection of Christ in us for each other, then going at that for our joy is a Christ-exalting joy. Right. Two plus two equals four, right? It's a Christ-exalting joy. It's Christ-exalting to be others-focused for the joy of it. Paul's joy is the Philippians' joy. And the Philippians' joy is Paul's joy. There's a lot of joy going on here. And all of it is a Christ-exalting joy. And just to drive the point home a little further, being others-focused for the joy of it is not wickedly selfish. Chapter 2, verse 4. Paul says, Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. It's not wicked to think about your own interest. Just don't let that be all that you do. Can we agree on this? We can experience some joy by being focused on us, at times at least. Anybody ever had that happen? Nobody's ever done that. No hands went up. Nobody in this church has ever focused on themselves and had some level of joy on it. We've all done that. We get that. But what if there's a greater joy? What if there's a greater joy that we can experience ourselves by leaning into the affection of Christ in us for each other and attending to the interests of each other for the joy of it? What if there's a greater joy? I think Paul is experiencing that. I think this is what Paul is saying. But he's lauding himself as an example here. Put others first with a mind toward greater joy that exalts Christ when you count others more superior than yourself. So this is the first thing I see here is Paul's concern for the Philippians. Here's the second thing. He's strategically and intentionally putting Timothy forth as an example. Let's read it again. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. Proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. What's Timothy's motivation? Timothy's motivation is joy. Paul says... 
that I too, T-O-O means what? Also, that I too may be cheered of news of you, which means that Timothy is going to be cheered of news of them, that they're putting the interest of others ahead of their own, that they have the same mind which is theirs in Christ Jesus, that they're counting others more significant than themselves, and they're not grumbling and complaining about it. Timothy is going to have joy because he has genuine concern for them. Paul says many others seek their own interests, but then he says this, not Timothy, Timothy seeks the interests of Jesus Christ. You might think he would finish that sentence by saying, many seek their own interests, but Timothy seeks your interest. No, the interest of Jesus Christ, which sounds like it's an echo, isn't it? Of I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Timothy is concerned for them because Jesus Christ is interested and concerned in them. And that work of Christ in him is spilling over in his concern for the Philippians. The Philippians' joy is Paul's joy. Paul's joy is Timothy's joy, or the Philippians' joy. Timothy's joy is the Philippians' joy, and the Philippians' joy is Timothy's joy. A lot of joy going on right here. Timothy is an example. Paul talks about his proven worth. That word means that this genuine concern Timothy's working out what God is working in. Timothy being the bulb, God being the current. It's been proven in Timothy's life through trial and testing. This is not just cheap talk. Timothy is an example. So we see Paul's concern. We see Timothy as an example. Now we're going to get a second example. Epaphroditus. Let's read it. Verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more, I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here's a question. We're going to look at Epaphroditus' example. If we were to be others-focused for the joy of it, Understanding that the concern flows out of the concern and affection of Christ in us for each other and that leaning into that for the joy of it is a Christ-exalting joy, right? How far could that joy take us? Just how far? How far would we be willing to go for the joy of it? Just this week, uh, myself and one of the elders, we met with a family who is going through a really challenging, difficult, scary time. And this family did what or said what so many of us do in, in those situations. Because we, you know, myself and, and the other two folks that were meeting with me, we hit pause on our day at the end of the day. It was late in the day, and we took time to sit down and meet to pray with this family. And this family said to us, we feel like we're being such a burden 
we, we don't want to be a burden to you. Have you ever felt that way? Like when you're on the receiving end of someone else's concern, when someone demonstrates genuine concern for you, that you feel like you're being a burden to them. Anybody ever felt that way besides me? I feel that way. But I said to this family, I said, do you realize this is not draining? That's how we might tend to think about it. Like if the Lord stirs in you concern for someone else, there might be a temptation to think that if you act on that, that it's going to be draining to you. It's going to sap your energy. It's going to sap your joy because in, instead of doing what else you might want to do, you're attending to someone else's need. Is that fair? But here's what I told this family. This is energizing. To, get, to have the opportunity and the privilege to get under the load with you and lift that burden through prayer and through concern and through crying together and talking through what's going on and looking to the scriptures, that's energizing for us. Why? Because there's joy in it. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if Christ's affection in us for each other were to be leaned into, the Bible says, cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares. I don't think there's a Christian in this room that would say, Jesus doesn't care about what I'm going through. So doesn't it make sense that if we leaned into Christ's care for each other, that we would experience energy, that we would experience joy, that it actually would be life-giving rather than life-draining to get under the load of, for each other and bear one another's burdens and in so doing fulfill the law of Christ? Are you tracking? I told this family, this isn't a burden. This is joy. This is energizing. Yes, we empathize, we cry, and we, 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 we have compassion towards the, the fear and the hurt and the concern and the sadness that you're facing right now. But to actually get to lock arms with you, even after an hour or so of crying and praying and looking to the Lord and, and bringing those needs to the Lord, we left smiling. Yeah. You know Why? Because we get to lean into genuine concern for each other for the joy of it. So just how far might we be willing to go for each other to glorify Christ and experience greater joy? Well, there's this guy, Epaphroditus, and we know next to nothing about him. He's only mentioned twice in the New Testament. Both times are here in Philippians. But he's got a, quite an impressive resume, right? Like Paul calls him a fellow worker and a fellow soldier and a, and a representative of, of the church in Philippi and a servant or a minister to Paul's own needs. It's quite an impressive resume. But we don't know really anything about him. But here's what we do know is that at some point the church in Philippi took up an offering for Paul, a collection of money to support Paul in his ministry. And Paul's going to say more about this in chapter 4, but apparently there was some sort of delay or obstacle in getting the money to Paul. So I imagine at some point the sentiment was expressed in the church in Philippi, we have got to get this money to Paul. And there's no UPS. There's no FedEx, right? 
There's no USPS, right? Which, well, I won't even say anything about that. But somebody's got to go. And it's not going to be easy. It's about 800 miles from Philippi to where Paul was imprisoned in Rome. It's going to be a long journey and a dangerous one because there's no, there's no armored trucks either. Somebody's going to have to go and take all this money with them and try to get it to Paul. So I imagine when that sentiment was expressed and everybody's looking around, well, who's going to go? Epaphroditus speaks up and says, I'll go. I'll do it. And he didn't know exactly how it was going to play out, but he had to have some idea. He's, not, he's, not, he's a smart guy. Going 800 miles, probably on foot, it's going to take a, what? Somebody after the first service told me that's about the distance from here to Texas. I imagine that's going to take a couple of months. Is that fair? A couple of months journey with all this money in tow. It's going to be dangerous. Epaphroditus had to know that. But what's his motivation? Joy. Paul says, honor such men who would risk their life for concern for you. And if you look at this in context, I can come up with no other conclusion than Epaphroditus has the same mind, the mind of Christ that Paul has and that Timothy has, that he would be willing to risk his life because why? He's concerned for Paul and he's concerned for the Philippians. He would risk his life to get this money to Paul. And apparently, somewhere along the journey, we don't know the details, he got sick really sick. I don't know if he got a bug. I don't know if he cut himself and, and then got a tremendous infection, but Paul says he nearly died. He almost died. Isn't it interesting? Stan, talk, again, the elders, such a help. Stan came up to me after the first service and he said, I noticed that when Paul says, have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who what did he do? He made himself nothing, took on the form of a servant, became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And that's the example that we have that Paul gives us to lean into others' focus, putting the interest of others ahead of our own for the joy of it. Epaphroditus risked his life for the Philippians and for Paul to get that money there because he almost died. Now, he certainly didn't go by himself. Undoubtedly, some others in Philippi said, we'll, we'll go with him. And so when he got sick on the way, again, this is a little bit of historical speculation. It's not in Scripture. But most historians agree that more than likely, based on what Paul says here, when Epaphroditus got sick, some of his traveling companions went back to Philippi and told them what happened. The others helped Epaphroditus finish the journey to Rome and get the money to Paul. Again, there's no email, there's no text, there's no phone, there's not even a wire where you can, you know, do the d d d d, you know, whatever you call that. Like, th there's no way to let them know, and they're 800 miles apart. And and so, if it's a, let's say it's a two month journey on foot, for two months at least, the Philippians are wringing their hands. What 
happened to Epaphroditus? Did he live or did he die? And did the money get to Paul? We don't know. And, and what does Paul say? He writes this letter and he sends it with Epaphroditus and he says, I'm so eager to send him to you. Why? Because, look, Paul was concerned for Epaphroditus. He said, if God had not been merciful, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow if he would have died. That's the affection of Christ in Paul for Epaphroditus. Amen? But he said, I'm sending him back to you so that I'll be less anxious. Why? Because I want your anxiety about him to be over. And when he gets there, receive him with joy. Honor such men. Rejoice that God's been merciful. And he tells us, Epaphroditus, what does he say? Um, he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Epaphroditus is equally concerned for the Philippians that they would be, have peace, that he is alive and well. Epaphroditus' joy is the Philippians' joy. The Philippians' joy is Epaphroditus' joy. It's all Paul's joy, and Paul's joy is their joy, and their joy is Paul's joy. There's so much Christ-exalting joy right here in others' focus for the joy of it. For the joy of it. What if, what if a great life filled with great joy isn't discovered by approaching life with a I'll get out for me what I put in kind of effort? What if that's not a great life? What, maybe this way, what if that's not the greatest life you can have? What if that's not the greatest joy you can have? And I think about that, and I feel convicted for myself because I think I, I, think I spend a lot of time wondering, thinking, planning, strategizing how it is that I can put more effort into this so that I can get more benefit out of it for me. What if... There's a greater joy. I don't think that's entirely wicked. Paul says, look not only to your own interest. I don't think it's entirely wicked to work hard and expect or anticipate or hope for a greater benefit for you. But I think what Scripture lauds, particularly right here in Philippians, is that instead of I get out for me what I put in, I work out, I become a bulb. I work out what God is working in. And when I work out what God is working in, here's where that's immediately going to go if you lean into it. Others focused for the glory of Christ. Others focused for the glory of Christ. And what's so cool about the Bible, you know, if you ever heard or you've ever 
thought or somebody told you that the Bible is boring and it's just this book of religious rules that you have to discipline yourself and follow and it's really just going to translate into life being harder and less fun and less joy. Let me, let me just dispossess you of that wrong notion. The Bible is not um, void of incentive. And the primary incentive that the Bible gives us is the primary thing we all want. At the root of us is a desire for joy. Why do you want more money? Because you think it'll make you happier. Why do you want your spouse to do this or that differently? Because you think it'll make you happier. Why did you buy that car? Why, did you, why do you long for that house? Why do you want to go on that vacation? Why do you save this money so that one day you can uh, you know, invest in a, in, in a, or, or have a better retirement? It's because you think that's going to make you happy. And it might give you some level of happiness. I'm not saying that's wicked. But here's what, the, here's what God in his word keeps saying over and over and over and over again. I've got greater joy for you. You want to find your life? Lose it. You want to save your life? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Take up life on my terms. And you'll find it. You'll have life. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Do you think Jesus is blowing smoke when he says that? No. Jesus is serious about that. God's word is serious about that. And it's so real. It's so real that it would lead somebody like Epaphroditus to risk his life. Why? Because he has the mind of Christ. And he's not doing it because he's trying to check some religious box. He's doing it for the joy of it. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. He scorned its shame, but he endured it for the joy set before him. Jesus said, I want my joy to be in you. What's his joy? The will of the Father. What if there's a greater joy? What if, what if instead of I get out what I put in, we let God's word renew our minds and we started to think more about, work out what God's working in. I can be a bulb and he's the current. And, and in doing so, I'll shine as a bright light and where that's going to lead me is to be concerned, let the affection of Christ, the interest of Christ in me for others lead me to be others focused. And in so doing, I could have greater joy. I could have joy that doesn't wane or wax or diminish when circumstances don't pan out exactly like I thought they would. I could have a joy that when I'm presented, when the Lord nudges me and presents me the opportunity to participate with him in someone else's life, that that actually wouldn't be draining. It actually wouldn't sap my joy, but it would actually nourish and increase my 
joy. Y'all looking at me like deer in heads like, does that sound good? That sounds awesome to me. Because I don't know about you, but the more focused I get on myself, the more tired I get. The more I attend to my own interest, the more I find I'm disappointed. And it's not that God doesn't care about what concerns me. He does. But it seems like Jesus said somewhere, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. I'm, I'm going to pray and, I, and uh, please understand, I'm, I'm praying for myself as much as I'm praying for you that we would indeed have this mind. That we would, for the joy of it, for the joy of it, be others focused. And in so doing, laud the glories of Christ. It will be a bulb that shines bright in a dark world. I hope you'll join me in that prayer. Lord, thank you for the example of Paul and of Timothy and of Epaphroditus and of the Philippians. Thank you, Lord, for, that we get to do this. This is, not, this is not a have to thing. We begrudgingly come to the table where we lay down our interest and pick up the interest of others. That's not the call here. The call is to love one another and be concerned for one another and do that for the joy of it. And in so doing, bring praise and honor and glory to your name. So help us with that. Help us to see the greater joy. And I, and I wonder, I bet there are people in this room. I know there are. They have an opportunity in front of them right now to look to the interest of others ahead of their own. They've got their own interests. They've got things they want to attend to. But maybe you're saying to many of us in this room, hey, that's not bad or wicked what you're thinking about. But would you want to get in on something I'm doing in someone else's life? Would you want to participate with me and experience greater joy than you're going to find chasing after that thing? I wonder, Lord, how many of us in this room are at that crossroads right now? And, and we, with everyone who would just be of one mind this morning around your word, these, these are not my words, these are your words. Oh, that we could be of one mind, of one accord, just like Paul said, unified in this that we have this mind which is ours in Christ Jesus who laid down his life for the joy of it. I wonder if we could maybe experience a bit of a shift in our life today, starting today, where we're attentive to your voice, attentive to the leadership of your spirit, 
And that as you lead us, we could trust you that you are concerned about our interests. And in trusting you with that, we could participate with you in the interest of others and experience greater joy. Oh, man, that sounds so good to me. I think of David when he says, your words are like honey on my lips. And I taste that this morning. I pray that we would lean into that sweet honey of being others focused for the joy of it and bringing and shining like lights, being the bulb. You're the current. Help us with that, I pray. I bless your people now as they go in your name to, to live their lives in a manner worthy with Christ-exalting joy, whatever that looks like and however you lead them into it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Resurrection Church. Please visit resfaith.com. That's R-E-Z faith.com where you can find more sermon archives, learn more about our church, and find a place to give to our ministry. We'd be glad to hear from you. Drop us an email at connect at resfaith.com.